Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. Oh, gross. Hey, sweetie. What's going on? Did you get a ladybug in your mouth? No, it's chocolate milk. It's disgusting. Oh, hold on. Chocolate milk? Yeah, I just thought I'd try some. I mean, it's been a long time, but I used to love this stuff. Oh, yeah, chocolate milk. Oh, this organic chocolate milk, smooth and creamy and delicious. And, and chocolate. Just gross. Just gross? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. You are acting like when you put all those ladybugs in your mouth that one time. <laughs> Do you remember you did that for the newspaper? That was for the newspaper. You right? didn't eat them, of course. You, you didn't even crunch them, but you stuck them on your tongue. Yeah, and then they released their chemical yeah. uh, defense weapon into your mouth. And it tastes, I would say, Pretty bad, but <laughs> Pretty bad. on even, par with the chocolate milk, maybe. I, mean, I don't think our dogs even ate them. <laughs> no, one of our dogs ate them. Oh, you're right. Griffin did. ate them by the dozen. Griffin loved them. They were like little pieces of popcorn. But he crunchies. was always a strange dog. He was a little unusual. This yeah, is true. Like you. True. Hey, so, I'm sorry. Thanks, unusual. No, I don't know if I meant that. in the, But anyway, <laughs> I mean unusual because most people love chocolate milk. And you're saying it tastes, as Liliana would say right now, gross she loves that word this is gross i i think it's because of the sugar-free stuff that we've been doing no way you're saying the sugar-free has made you not like chocolate milk has made me not like chocolate milk not too long ago we asked our whole youtube community to join with us in doing a month sugar-free yeah that was right after the new year you remember how mirabel kept then she had that deviled egg that somebody gave her and it must have had a little honey or something she said oh it's too sweet yeah she promptly gave it back yeah it really changes your taste buds it changes how you perceive food it's really it's amazing i'm so glad that so many people did that with us oh my gosh all of you out there who are listening who took that challenge with us or yes. are even gonna do it or are in the process of it woohoo! maybe that'll be for the end we can ask everybody here to do it do another month? Yeah. <gasps> okay, shh, shh, don't tell anybody. Okay, we'll talk about right. that at the end. Okay, we asked our whole YouTube community, people who wanted to, to join us in Sugar Free. Now, I I'm, have to say, first of all, should I lay out what we did? Let's quick lay out what okay. we did. Okay, real brief. We chose the beginning of the year. You know, it's kind of the whole New Year's resolution. But we had been looking for an excuse for a long time. And we said, four weeks, sugar free. And what that meant was, first two weeks, no sugar, added sugar, processed sugar, no honey, no maple syrup, no agave. We also took out dried fruits. We did, however, leave in the regular fruits in moderation. Mm -hmm. So that way the girls could have some berries or an apple, something like that. Then after two weeks, we experimented with how does it feel to have some dried fruit thrown in there. And I think the real telling thing, as, as the whole community started to talk to us about what they were doing and what they were experiencing in those comments from that video and on the follow-up update videos, people started to say, this is surprisingly difficult to kick. This is really, no, not everybody. Correct. Everybody reacts differently to addiction. Some people said, oh, no problem, no withdrawal, and I feel great. But some people were saying, hey, I've kicked 
drugs. I've kicked caffeine. I've kicked uh, nicotine, cigarettes, and sugar was by far the hardest of them all. Mm, that is so interesting. Now, I want to say we're not here to just lay into sugar and say it's the most evil thing in the entire world, but I think it is helpful if we can develop an awareness of our relationship with it. And I got to tell you, if I'm doing the sugar-free, there is sugar in a lot of things. Oh my gosh. Sugar is in things you wouldn't even believe sugar should be in. You're just going along and we had a few times during our sugar-free period where we grabbed something. It was like, clearly, we had to learn to read the back package label to make sure sugar and its counterparts weren't in there because sugar is now put into chips it's loaded into yogurt sometimes more than there would be in an ice cream and yogurt's supposed to be good for you right bread. Bread. yeah of course chocolate milk has sugar in it <laughs> of course right so and as you were saying when we were talking about this subject probably historically ancestrally human beings did have some sweet in their diet. That's why I'm glad you said, let's not demonize sugar. But the problem is, when you imagine our ancestors, usually it's honey. And to get that honey, you you have to pay for it. You have to oh, work for right. it. right. Even berries. Pretty hard. I mean, when we go berry picking in the berry season, I always say it's going to be blood, sweat, or tears, or all three in order <laughs> to get your berries, right? Yeah, that's true. But I think some of it was included in our diet. So I, I don't want to say... All sugar, all the time is all bad. And we don't need to argue different diets here. I know there's diets that work for some people that have very little carbohydrates like whatsoever. Keto. Some people right, love right. keto. Every person's body, every body is different and different during different times of their lives. But I think it goes without saying that we all could do well. We could benefit from looking at our relationship with sweet and with sugar. Because for most of us, there is so much in our diet. Right. Even when we are trying to, it's still there and we might not know it. Yeah. And this is actually a pretty addictive substance. Now, I'm saying that half from a study, scientific study viewpoint. I'm saying that half anecdotally from our own experiences, the forest monks that we get to work with, and of course, our YouTube community. So Bart Hobel. Oh yeah, I was going to say, tell me about this study. You're just such a studier. <laughs> Princeton University. Princeton University, okay. And he's been working with rats and sugar. This is where you hear from people that sugar is as addictive as cocaine or heroin. And what he's shown is his earlier experiments showed that sugar created two of the basic three um, <laughs> elements of addiction. Okay. Which was... An increased intake Definitely. over time and withdrawal if people go off of it. Or obviously in this case, rats. Right. But now his research is showing that we can add craving and relapse. That's the third element of addiction. The relapse, yeah. Right. So what is starting to show, and we don't know this for sure, it's just animal studies, is that the sugar affects parts of our brain and changes parts of our brain that essentially make us more... Uh, open to addiction. Oh, okay, because you were telling me, I remember now we were talking about this, and you were saying there was even a part of the study where the rats who had kind of gone through, they've been given sugar, now it's taken away, that they would drink more alcohol. Right, right? exactly. Because they had been cut off from the sugar, so now they were going to binge on something else. 
that part of their brain just it needs now something to fill up that empty space isn't that interesting it almost if you step back you could look and say wow does this have something to do with our cultural our culture in general Mm. so you've got the sugar fostering more and more addictive behaviors then we've got the media that feeds in on that so you know looking on my cell phone texting watching all kinds of movies playing Mm. video games all this stuff comes in and it starts to create this entire culture of addiction where we can become so addicted that we aren't really paying much attention to the rest of our life maybe we even throw in addiction to trying to become successful and get money and Maybe this is all working together in a really wow. weird way that none of us are even aware of. It's like the Matrix. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm looking at your face. Okay, okay, let's settle down here. We're just going to go back to the chocolate milk. It was too sweet. You did four weeks without sugar. It's definitely changed your taste buds. And that's probably good because as we all learned as a family and those of us that were doing it, A, number one, it can be harder than you think it is. And B, boy, people were starting to talk about improved sleep, improved clarity, whether it's skin or mind. Lots of different positives from letting go of sugar for a while. Oh, when we get off of it. No, I just have to go right back. I don't want this to be a rant because I don't think of myself as a (laughs) rant person. (laughs) I'm not a rant person, am am I? I don't think so. I don't really I do that. Everybody's entitled to a few moments on a soapbox. And I don't think I'm a uh, conspiracy theorist either. No. But going back to that idea of this being a kind of a cultural phenomenon that has repercussions and hidden things that we don't even know about. Well, we have to go back to the history of sugar. Ooh, I love this. This is great. It was way back in 1942 that the American Medical Association... Wait a second. Way back? 1942 is old? I thought we were going to go like <laughs> way, way back to like sugar cane. We could go food. way back. Actually, New Guinea. It's native of New Guinea. Oh, wow. You'll hear a lot Look of people you. say... In, <laughs> well, do, do, do. You just know your stuff here. <laughs> <Almost up. laughs> because in India is where it really started to be produced more. So often that's thought of as the the seed of sugar cane spreading throughout the world but but it's actually native to new guinea okay and but anyway we're going to go back to 1942 we might have some older listeners you don't want to maybe say way back like it's super ancient oh yeah um in 1942 recently recently the american medical association (laughs) was giving warnings about sugar really no way yeah So they already knew there was some research coming out. In 1966, there was a lot more research. Now watch, I'm going to juggle dates here a little bit. But by 1966, there was a lot more research. And they were saying, hey, we're seeing research that links sugar to diabetes, obesity, Mm. and heart disease was the big one they were trying to figure out at this time. Now this, this doctor, Ansel Keys, he came up with this lipid hypothesis. Lipid is fat. And his fat hypothesis was that eating fat was linked to heart disease. Well, the American Heart Association loved this. Finally, they had someone they could really blame. They weren't really looking at the research for some reason that was saying, hey, maybe sugar's the culprit. 
fat just oh. was more attractive. Now, maybe Ansel was just really a charismatic guy, or who knows well, what. Well, of but... course, listen to his name. Yes, I'm Ansel Keys, and I would like to discuss with you today. That is quite a name. Right. Ansel Don't just be very distinguished. You do that voice, and you're... Yeah, I, yeah. I just want to listen, and I want to obey. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I just want to understand. So, research that was being done at the time, uh, and when was this Ansel dude around? Oh, 1955 is when he talked to the American okay. Art Association and put out his hypothesis. Okay, but you're saying back in 1942, there were already warning flags of sugar yes. is kind of dangerous. We should maybe look at it. And then this guy comes along, and this is sort of, this is like parallel, right? Because as they're finding more and more information, as you said, in the 1960s, they were really finding information. Yeah that this guy comes along and for whatever reason he says no let's blame fat he had this darling hypothesis that he really loved and he really wanted to show people that this was true okay and i'm assuming he's not he wasn't like a bad guy no although when we see what he did it, there's what do you mean what did he do well it's not so great and this happens when if you dig in and you talk to scientists a little bit they'll say that's one of the biggest problems with science today, and it was before, is that there's so much prestige in getting published in a journal. It affects your career in major ways if, if you can get your hypothesis verified Ooh. and published. But it's really easy to kind of skew the results just a little bit so that the thing that you want to prove seems to be proven. Ooh. And I should obviously, proving is not a scientific word here, but, but that the evidence is going to... Um, turn your hypothesis oh. maybe into a theory. Even. Is there a word for that? For what? When you do that, is there like a technical term for skewing the results to kind of... A hypotragonum. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That sounds great. We'll see if you can reproduce that at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I was going to say, I can reproduce it right now. <laughs> Okay, so Ansel Keys comes along and the American Heart Association, for whatever reason, says this is the bandwagon that we're jumping on. They love him. And the American Heart Association puts out all kinds of messages. Fat is bad. Fat, is, fat bad. is bad. Which, now, actually, I'm sorry, but lately haven't we been learning that not all fat is bad? Very much so. Okay. Yeah. So technically, they don't really know their stuff, but they're promoting this anyway. They're promoting this anyway. Because okay. they really like Ansel Keys and his hypothesis. He's suave. Yeah, he's great. Suave. So 10 years later, we're Wait, seeing... 10 years Yeah, from... this is 1966 that I talked about before. And that's the American Medical Association, different than the American Heart Association. Okay. It's getting more and more evidence that sugar is not good for us. Okay. But people aren't really listening. The American Heart Association is winning out. And in 1970, the proverbial nail in the coffin. Bonk, bonk, bonk. Ansel Keys comes out with the Seven Countries Study. Whoa. This is where he played the dice in his favor. This is the hypertrachinagonigum. Exactly. Exactly. He skewed the results. So he looks at a whole bunch of countries. Okay. And he looks for a correlation between how much fat is consumed and rates of heart disease. And apparently what he did is he took the countries that did not really fit with his correlation and he conveniently left those out of the study and picked seven countries that showed a very direct correlation. Hence, out comes his study. Oh. People did not look at the rest of the diet. And if you look back and you see those cultures, oh. they also were consuming a lot of sugar and carbs. But that's ignored. 
It's oh. just, here's the fat, here's the heart disease, here's the problem. Wow. Okay, okay. So that in and of itself is scary and kind of frustrating. But my question is, and this isn't something we have to talk about, but it's just a little aside. How often is that happening today? When you read something, you're like flipping through the fitness magazine, you see, oh, you know, 52% of bloody blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh my gosh, I better pay attention to this because look what the studies say. How do you know if it's true? How do you know if that person behind the study isn't just like, we're going to get written up in the uh, science journal tomorrow for this? It's a real issue with science. And I, I would love to see science take this on more effectively because it is degrading science as a whole. If we can't believe what science is saying, oh it just starts to become a faith-based belief system instead of an evidence-based belief system. Totally. And right now, because of the way everything is set up, where again, a scientist, a professor, has a lot of life <laughs> at stake. Oh, right. Yeah. To make sure that they get published and that their, their hypothesis is shown to be in a favorable light. Wow. That it's, it's really easy to do this. So in a way, Ansel was just doing what... I mean, of course. Of course. That makes sense. There's, there's that whole side to be considered, the human element. But yeah. I just was thinking how many times I read something that's a really interesting statistic. And, and I don't even think, oh, do I trust the people who did this? Where is the information coming from? That's right. right. We want to just believe it. It's science. Right. It's of a study. Course. It's scientific study. It's got to be have some truth behind it. But it's really important that you go read the studies. Sure, you got to dig in a little bit deeper. Yeah. Okay, so then what happened? 1980, the U.S. government gets on board and says, fat will kill you. And all of our foods, processed foods, begin to become low fat. <gasps> it no was fat. the fat-free craze, yeah. kind of. I remember that. But you pull fat out of ice cream, and what do you Yuck. have left? It tastes gross. So not only did you get fake fats and stuff, but they found if we want to make this good again, we have to put about three times as much sugar oh. into that to make it so it's palatable again. So this is horrible, though, because we're not eating fat, which doesn't necessarily correlate with all of the different diseases and things. Right. So we're not eating fat and we're eating three times as much sugar. That's not a statistic there, but <laughs> it's just as my little brain trying to figure this out. So what's going to happen? Because we are finding out these days that sugar is, it's, it's true. The American Medical Association mm -hmm. was right that the sugar is what's doing it. The sugar and carbs in high quantities. Oh my heavens. So we just created an epidemic. Of diabetes, obesity, heart disease. <gasps> okay, okay, okay. My mind's like, <laughs> because when you couple that with, for example, the study at Princeton, mm -hmm. you've got people who are having mass quantities of this substance that could almost be considered as addictive as some drugs. Yeah, so the ice cream, I used to buy my full fat ice cream. Now I'm buying this ice cream that's full of sugar. I'm told by my government that it's healthier and it's gonna be better for me than the other ice cream. And I'm subjecting myself possibly here to a drug that is more addictive than heroin. Wow. It's not a good situation. That, that is a little bit freaky. Now, as you've mentioned, the science is coming out and saying, okay, fats can have some negative effects. 
they also can have some really positive effects. Where, for instance, if you eat beef, it comes from. If it's from a grain lot, it has a very different fat lipid profile mm. than grass-fed beef. The one is probably going to contribute, the grain one, to heart disease. The other one, when you start to look and people eat that, they start to see positive things happen to their, for instance, their, their uh, HDL and LDL. So the balance starts to shift Interesting. of the cholesterol towards the positive. Right. I feel like I see that more and more, how fat is not bad and fat will not necessarily make you fat. But of course, if you're eating fat and tons of sugar and carbs and things, your recipe for disaster. Go back to the seven countries, just exactly. switch it around a little bit. <laughs> right. In those seven countries, we're eating lots of fat, lots of sugar, lots of carbs. You combine those together and yeah, it's not good. Okay, so what do we do? Well, now we're in modern times. Here we are. Things are changing. We're starting to see more that sugar is not good, especially in the quantities that we're eating. It's being removed from a lot of foods, but it's still there, present in tons of our foods in surprising places. Well, and I kind of get it because if you're a large business, food industry company thingy, Imagine if you can put sugar in, which is nowadays dirt cheap, you can save a lot of money because, hey, if it's sweet, you don't have to have a whole bunch of other flavors built in. The flavor profile of things these days is kind of pathetic. <laughs> if it's not an actual, I mean, I'm thinking like just of bread. There's a lot of sugar in bread. And I understand for, for baking bread, a lot of times yeast needs some sort of a sugar, but it doesn't have to be in such mass quantities. And I'm thinking about the flavor of that bread versus the flavor of something, even that you just bake yourself, whether or not it's a sourdough bread or not, totally different flavor profiles. And that's the big thing. Because when we say, let's do a month without sugar, and we want to start reducing sugar in our life, we can think, okay, I'm going to do this for my health. That's a sort of an ambiguous, far-off goal for most of us. But also, if we go off of sugar or reduce sugar, we start to reshape our taste buds. And so there's an immediate effect within three weeks, two weeks, where we start to taste food again. And we realize that all kinds of foods have incredibly incredibly complex, delicious flavor profiles that are completely wiped off because we pour sugar onto everything right. and all we can taste is the sweet. And some might argue it's the same with salt. It could really be the same with almost any flavoring. Like I know you love to drown your food in spice. Yeah. Not that that's bad, actually. Some studies have shown that spice is extremely good for us in our digestion. <laughs> I'm just saying some of us put a lot of flavoring in our food. Yeah, definitely. Guilty on that. But... Predominantly sugar, especially in our Western culture here. For most of us, it's, it's a flavor that just drowns out everything else. So that sourdough bread has incredible flavors to it. Think about when we did ours, we got 100% chocolate, chocolate chips. Yes. Now, if you know anything about chocolate, people are saying, oh, eat dark chocolate that's maybe 70% or more. And that's going to be more healthy. it's supposed to be like 77% or is... that, right. But you start getting up to 80, 90, that's a pretty bitter chocolate. When you get to 100%, there is no sugar added, and you're just getting the bitterness of the chocolate. Although it's kind of tart, too. And our girls? Yeah, I was surprised. They really do. They really like those. As they started to get 
out of the sugar spell, they saw that, wow, these 100% chocolate chips have an incredible flavor to them. They are amazing. Okay, I'm sorry. And they're super healthy. Speaking of dark chocolate and 100% chocolate, and speaking of milk chocolate, um, not milk chocolate, chocolate milk. <laughs> you know, just reverse it. At least I'm cute. Okay. <laughs> that reminds me of that podcast that we listened to about changing your saliva. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. If you get a chance, there's this cool podcast called Wow in the World. Our girls love to listen to it. It's geared more towards kids, but as an adult, you learn a lot too. In that story, it was kale, but they talked about an experiment. I don't have the exact names. It was with chocolate milk. It was with cho- it was with hot chocolate. Oh, yeah. Except for the hot chocolate had only like 8% sugar in it. Like regular hot chocolate has at least 25% or more than that. And so the participants got this very, very bitter dark chocolate mix to put in their hot chocolate. And every day they drank the hot chocolate and they wrote down how it tasted to them and then they spit in a vial and they sent it into the spit laboratory. (laughs) And what was really cool is by the end of the week, the majority of participants were writing that it actually didn't taste super bitter anymore and they were looking forward to it. Whereas, of course, in the beginning it was like, oh, this is so bitter, I don't know if I can even drink it. And what happened was that their spit correlated. Their spit actually changed (laughs) by the end of the week. There were different parts of their saliva that weren't the same from before. That were reducing the flavor of bitter and allowing other flavors to come up. Wow. So we can change our taste buds. We really can. And start to taste things. I mean, just this morning, we made... Banana sweet potato muesli muffins. No sugar. It had some sweet potato. It had some banana. We threw in a few raisins. Now, I've got to say, I was online trying to find a base recipe to use. And I saw this recipe and it called for, and this is for one batch of muffins here, a cup of sugar. We just did not add that. We didn't use any. And... The muffins turned out They were scrumptious and none of us could believe it. We were like, oh. Could you imagine if there was a cup? Oh, it would have been just like your chocolate milk. Yeah. And here's the thing. There was some other guy that had this paleo version and said, no sugar muffins. And so I went there and looked at those. And instead of just removing the sugar, he had added a cup of some kind of artificial sweetener. Like Splenda or or Chuvia or something like that. Okay, so here's the thing then. Sometimes when we're talking about sugar, it's not just the sugar, it's the sweet. And if you feel like you're addicted to sweet, as I was, I used to call myself a hummingbird because I would put, granted it was honey or maple syrup, I would put it in everything. Put it in my yogurt, put it in my tea, put it in my cereal. Mm -hmm. I was a little hummingbird. I was addicted to sweet, not just sugar, but sweet. If that's you, then on this challenge that we're going to propose later, I propose that you take out the dried fruit and maybe even if it's just you and it's not a whole family, take out the fruit for a week and see how you do. See if you can reduce your desire for the sweet because there are a lot of other flavors out there. So many. And there's a lot of foods that have natural sweetness. I mean, a sweet potato is almost over the top sweet. A banana, cinnamon, super sweet peppermint is sweet cashews are sweet we can start to go on carrots are sweet as all get oh my gosh bell peppers so it's fun because you become this 
your own scientist in a way doing an experiment on yourself. You're like a cute little guinea pig. And you get to say, <laughs> how does this taste? And something that you once thought would maybe be yucky and awful, you suddenly realize, wow, I had no idea. And the more that you're off of it, the more that you start to discover these different flavor profiles. Let's give people the muffin recipe. <gasps> Can we give them the cashew bar recipe too with the 100% dark chocolate? Ooh, yes. That one, you know, well, the muffin recipe is our, uh, is our own. Well, we that's an adaptation, that right? I don't mind sending people to the... Yeah. So on our, on our website... RewildU.com. We are going to, for this podcast page, we're going to have the recipe that we created uh, for the muffins. And we're going to have a link to... Tegan Gerard. She's half-baked harvest. To her blog, where you'll yes. see the recipe. Now, we got to talk about our sponsor. Yeah, yes, of course we do, because talk about a sweet person. Oh my gosh. Elizabeth, this is called the Start Line Inn, up here in Cable, Wisconsin. Cable has, I don't know, maybe... 400 or 700 people. It is a really small town. Very small. Why would anybody want to come to Cable? But we have the Birkebeiner here. Do, 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 do. One of the largest cross-country ski races in the universe. Ooh, I feel like that's at least on planet Earth. An echo to it. Universe. <laughs> Earth, Earth, Earth. <Right>. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very popular. And not just the race itself, but it's beautiful up here. There are a million zillion trees and there's lots of places to go cross-country skiing, to go snowshoeing, to go fat tire biking. There are fat tire bike races here in the winter. Our friend Dennis, our next door neighbor, he's been all over the world cross-country skiing because he works with oof, Olympic people and uh, I don't know, he's an amazing guy. But he has said, of all the places in the whole world that he's been for cross-country skiing, Cable, Wisconsin, is the best place he's ever been. And that's saying a lot. It's a great place for silent sports. And the Start Line Inn, if you like silent sports, is an awesome vacation destination because they rent out fat tire bikes, cross-country skis, all the things that you would need, you can find right there. And... Start line implies they're at the start line for the race, the Birkebeiner, but that means they're right by the trails. They are a ski and bike in and out. You don't even have to drive to get to the trails. You just put your stuff on and out you go. It's awesome. You can find them in Airbnb if you look up Start Line in Cable, Wisconsin. <laughs> I think their place is super reasonable because that the place they have is Gorgeous. It is beautiful. Oh my it's gosh. all wood and stone and big windows looking out into nature. I mean, that place, I want to just go stay there. Only, I, I mean, I live here, so. I know. I think <laughs> it can house eight people. It's, yeah. Well, you can find the details, of course, at on Airbnb, start line in Cable, Wisconsin. And if you're up this way, shoot us a line. The other people that make this podcast possible are our patrons Woo! on PayPal and Patreon. Oh. <laughs> Thank you to all of you that make this possible. It would not be here without your support. And thank you to all of you who support us in other ways by sending us comments, emails, packages. Oh my goodness. And, it's and overwhelming. Just in general, I got to tell you, we can feel the love. We totally can. It's amazing. Uh, we should say that people could, if you want to and you're not already, you want to support us monetarily, 
uh, our website, rewildu.com, R-E-W-I-L-D-U.com, has on the front page a place where you could sign up with Patreon or donate through PayPal. You just scroll down a little bit on that homepage and you'll see it. And there's tons of other stuff on there as well. You can find these podcasts, of course, and previous ones. You can find our online course. You can learn about our Forest Monk program and other classes that we have. Now, is it time? It is time to unleash your life. Echo again. Life, life, life. life. <laughs> You're such a weirdo. <laughs> okay. So are we doing it? I think we are suggesting that you take on the one month. No sugar challenge. Now, that can seem a little bit intimidating. Oh my gosh, you've got kids. They have complete sweet teeth. Or maybe you yourself have a little midnight snacking thing going on. Oh my gosh. It has huge health benefits. It has huge quality of life benefits. And I just, I have to jump in. I have to say this, even though perhaps this isn't the right spot to say it, but our gut is made up of so much of like our immune system and our connection with our brain, the gut brain connection, that when you get rid of sugar, it is not just about, yay, my blood profile is better. It is about mentally feeling better too. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm done. Okay. One month, no sugar challenge. If you want to take this on, these action points will help you along the way. Number one. Oh, yes. Just remove the sweets from your environment. This helps so much with discipline because sugar, as we've said, is highly addictive. It is going to pull on you strong. So get everything out of the house. If you can't stand throwing away food, then say this week, we're going to eat all the sweets. (laughs) (laughs) And then the week after that, we begin. Take things like those jars of honey, put them in some safe or lockbox somewhere so they are far away from your consciousness. Yes. Make it easy on yourself. Absolutely. Set yourself up to win. And the flip side of this is have some snacks on hand that are okay. Get some crunchy, yummy nuts that you can have. Yeah, so get rid of all that sugary stuff. Anything that has it in it. And you might want to take that week beforehand, whether or not you're eating all your sugar, that's up to you. But you might want to take that week beforehand and start to just peruse as you go shopping. Is there sugar in the products that you usually buy? Mm -hmm. And if so, is there another product close by that I could buy instead? Or what might be a meal plan that I could make instead where you're not stuck at the last moment going, oh, all I have is this jar of mayonnaise and it's got sugar in it. Number two, remember that if you think it's just for today, you're going to make things a lot easier on your willpower stores. What that means is that instead of thinking, okay, I can do this for a month. Whoa, that oh, is yeah. daunting. A whole month? Oh. Let's say today mm-hmm. I'm going to go sugar-free. Right. Do it. Tomorrow when you wake up, say today I'm going to go sugar-free. Yeah, and feel the power in that choice. When you wake up the next morning. You just one day today, at a time. I'm going to say okay, stuck. sugar Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do that 30 or 31 times. Okay. And the next action point. Number three. Distractions. Start filling your life up with some good stuff. Now, distraction is usually something that pulls us out of mindfulness. But when we're trying to break an addiction, some people, I would say even maybe most people, find it very useful to fill up your life a little bit more with some 
sweet things that aren't sweet, like oh, yeah. getting together with some friends to go for a hike. Taking a bath and oh. relaxing with some really nice essential oils or some Epsom salts. Treat yourself to a massage. Yeah, absolutely. Get a book that you've been wanting to read and carve out a little time to read it. Say, hey, I'm not eating sugar. I'm going to give myself time to read that really great book I've been wanting to read. If you've been wanting a puppy, buy three. (laughs) Wait a second. That is the um, brain change going on where (laughs) you're starting to binge. That would be be distracting. (laughs) Totally distracting. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, but go walk some dogs at the local Humane Society. Start filling up your life with some other interesting things. And that's a great, I love that Humane Society. Maybe go volunteer. Donate yeah, some of your time. Yeah, volunteering really will fill you up. That is a sweet, sweet thing. Four, get creative with your diet. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is you've moved all the sweets out. Make sure you have out on your counter, in your fridge, wherever you look, things that you can eat. Nice crunchy nuts, some good vegetables, some of those sweet carrots and bell peppers we were talking about. Some cucumbers are super refreshing. Make sure you have some good berries on hand or something that does have a tiny bit of sweet in case you're really, really dying for it. (laughs) And make it so that you are successful. Don't set yourself up for failure. Make it accessible. Make the easy, proper things accessible for you. These last ones are saying the getting creative with your diet being aware of distraction, is using wisdom to know that as we nix out the sugar, there is going to be, for some of us, an empty place in our brain that wants to be filled. So for some people, that might feel like, oh, I've got to fill that with alcohol. I've got to fill that with something else. So we're consciously preempting this in knowing that we're going to choose some positive things to fill our life with, whether those are positive foods or positive activities. We're going to have these positive things that are ready to fill in that space. Absolutely. And tell other people that you're doing this. See if you and a friend can do it and then swap recipes, right? It's, this is the time to get a little creative and it doesn't have to be a new recipe every meal or even every day, but get a friend on board and do it together and see what you guys can come up with. It's fun to eat new foods. It's fun to try new things. And now is a perfect time for it. Number five. Stay on your rewilding journey. Rewilding is a way of life that encompasses us as a holistic organism, as an ecosystem. Instead of just cherry picking things out, we realize that as we remove sugar, we're affecting our body in in major ways. We're affecting our mentality. We're affecting our energy levels. We're affecting our mindfulness. Lay those things all together make your life a symphony of growth and evolution. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to have a few mistakes, but don't let them keep you down. Just brush yourself off and get back up. Jump back on no sugar, one month no sugar challenge horse, so to speak, (laughs) or whatever it is that you want to try to change in your life because change is possible. It starts inside of you. And if you're connected to yourself and if you're exploring the world, you will find the answers and you will be able to do it. Huge gratitude to all of you. Thank you for listening. We are so grateful and appreciative. Thank you for being part of what we do and love to you all. So I got a question though. Yeah. What are you going to do with your chocolate milk? I had this genius idea. What? Well, the chocolate milk? Yeah. I'm going to dump down the drain. Oh no, you are. But 
I'm going to take this other good plain whole fat organic milk and I'm going to take some of the 100% chocolate chips mm. and I'm going to melt them in the hot milk and it's going to be an incredibly delicious. Like a little vanilla in there. Like a little vanilla, yeah. Like a, bit, like a little cinnamon in yeah, there. Yeah, or a little cayenne to kind of go. Cayenne. Oh, you're doing like a little Mexican yeah. hot chocolate thing. Woo-hoo. All right, high five. Nice. Let's do it. 